And what we need to know is that we all possess a purity, a spark that is absolutely pure. A spark where trauma doesn't affect. You are listening to The JP Show, where we discuss the issues you care about from a Jewish perspective. I am Rabbi G. I am Rabbi Levy. And we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, this is Rabbi G, and let's continue the discussion on trauma, and I begin with an opening message. I want to highlight some two interesting concepts today, um, which have to do with the confidence and the ability to heal from trauma or to heal from really any challenging experience. The first is I want to just talk about some of the work that done by a guy called George Bonanno. He's a leading professor of psychology in Columbia University and wrote a book called The End of Trauma. And he highlights something fascinating because often when we talk about trauma and the research in trauma and the awareness on trauma is focused on those that are suffering from trauma, meaning those that have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and are really damaged or struggling for years perhaps, prolonged a time, um, with, the, with the effects of trauma. So what he did with his research, and very extensive research and very detailed research in different settings, different experiences, with one particular emphasis on 9-11, where obviously there was huge trauma and they expected an amazing amount of effects and they set up centers to deal with all the prolonged trauma that they expected to happen. And what actually happened is that it didn't actually work that way. Many people, although many people suffered and people obviously initially had tremendous shock and pain, whether people who were close by or rescuers or people who were in the building who survived and so on, but actually most people did not have prolonged PTSD. So he highlights with his research that in fact resilience is more common than we think it is. And resilience is an ability that most people have and perhaps other people could learn. So what we need to do is not just look at the people who don't have um, so much resilience, but look at those people that do and research them and explore them and understand what are the components that will bring about resilience. Now, admittedly, we just need to highlight that I'm not sure if the numbers might be so high with complex trauma, with things that happen to children. Perhaps that's more damaging and uh, more people are left with prolonged damage from that. But we can still look at what does work. And he looks at resilience, and he looks at optimism, which is a key component for resilience. He talks about optimism, he talks about confidence in the ability that we can actually overcome, and the ability to develop a perception that we view threats, because don't forget, PTSD has a lot to do with that disproportionate um, reaction to perceived threats in a, in a, in a distorted way. So developing an ability to view threats as challenges to overcome, as challenges to make us stronger people, and so on. So he develops this idea called the flexibility mindset. The flexibility mindset is not to be stuck in one thing. Very similar to the work of Carol Dweck in growth mindset, not to be defined by the abilities and the talents and the skill set that we have now, but to realize that we're flexible, we can grow, and we can develop new perceptions. And optimism is something, as we know, that some people have more innately, but nevertheless, it can be learned. Learned optimism is a real thing. Now, I wanted to just add to this that from a Jewish point of view, 
Of course, this is very true because we do have innate resilience. We do have the ability to be resilient. And the reason for that is because the human being is multi-layered. Our soul is expressed on so many different layers. Conscious layers, subconscious, and then there's the essence of who we are. And what we need to know is that we all possess a purity, a spark that is absolutely pure. A spark where trauma doesn't affect, where trauma doesn't live on that deep layer of the soul. So in other words, when we are damaged, pained, affected by trauma or post-trauma effects, it is real, it is damaging, it's a real struggle, it's a real damage to the body and it's a real rewiring of the brain. All true, but it's not all of us. It doesn't, hasn't damaged all of us. There's a part of us that it hasn't damaged. And reconnecting to that part is then gives us the, the, the ability to understand our flexibility, to understand our infinite potential, to understand the ability to, to, to overcome. But I want to just add one more final idea. Uh, we briefly touched on this last week, but I want to just expand on it just a drop. And this is the work of Tal ben Shahar that we mentioned last time. And he said that resilience is not enough because resilience is when you bounce back to where you were. But he developed this idea called PTG, post-traumatic growth. Understanding, and spiritually this is so on target because if we just bounce back but we didn't actually learn from the experience or become stronger from the experience or grow from the experience, then the experience had no purpose. But we know that everything that happens to us in life is by the godly design and therefore has a purpose. And therefore, this idea of being able to use the, tra the trauma, to use the challenging experience as not just not let it distract us so we can bounce back, but much more than that, to actually, actually grow from the experience. And what hit home for me is I reminded myself of a very fascinating Talmudic idea. And that is that there's a law in the Talmud that a place of holiness, like a synagogue, there are exceptions to this rule, but the mainstream rule is the following, that a holy place like a synagogue may not be demolished, it may not be destroyed. You're not allowed to destroy a shul, a synagogue. It's a holy place. But there's an exception. The exception is that if you demolish a synagogue, you demolish a holy place, in order to build a more beautiful one, that's okay. And the reason that it's okay is because then it's not an act of destruction. Then when you knock down the building, it's actually an act of building rather than an act of destroying. And that's why it's okay. And this is the principle we need to live with. And when something painful happens to us, it might be painful and it might be damaging and it might be something that we can't understand, but we can use it for growth. PTG, post-traumatic growth. If we can find it within us to rise above and to heal from the trauma, we don't only heal or bounce back, but we actually use the trauma, we use the experience to become a better human being, to grow, to explore new heights, spiritually, emotionally, in every part of our life. So we have resilience, and we have the ability not just to be resilient, but to actually build and grow from the experience. And that's my opening message. And now we'll open it up for our regular discussion. Okay, Rabbi Levy, take it away. So you mentioned um, about optimism being a part of resilience. And what I want to explore a little bit is what actually makes a person optimistic. How, how do we become uh, how, how, how does a person... How do we learn? How do you learn optimism? So I think some certain people are, bo are born with a certain disposition. They're definitely more positive people. 
sort of always have this like, you know, this, this sort of happiness on them, this look of positivity, of optimism. Some people are not born that way, and no one's to blame for that, just everyone's born with a different nature. And we need to learn it. Uh, like you mentioned, everything, every good thing can be learned. If, 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 if we're demanded to, if we're commanded and we're encouraged to be a certain way, the principle is that God gives us the tools in order to get there. So if being positive and being optimistic is a good character, a good character trait, then we could uh, definitely get there if we just put in work and we, and we try. So I guess let's, let's discuss a little bit why, what actually makes a person learn op optimism and, 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 and how can we become more optimistic? And I was just reading, uh, this is a famous thing, this is not a, I don't, I, I, I don't think this will be a novel idea to anyone listening, that there is a lot of studies out there that religious people are happier than not religious people. Not, not any particular religion, but just in general. Religion brings, is definitely, that doesn't mean to say that there's no unhappy religious people. Of course there are. And of course there are a lot of happy not religious people. But in general, people that have a religion uh, tend to be happier and more optimistic and more happy and more positive. And the question is why? So I was reading a study that it's not only to do with belief in God. It also has to do with something we discussed last week about the sense of community. Um, generally speaking, religion comes with community, comes with connection with other people, there's less loneliness, so that obviously brings more optimism, more happiness. But I think it's also um, very, very much connected to the fact that believing in God and believing that there is a creator of the world who created the world, who created you, gives you a purpose and gives you a meaning to life. Now, I think anyone could make meaning to their life. You can make a lot of meanings to your life, but the question is, is that meaning real? Or is it just something that you're giving to your life, right? So if this world is just random, and it was just an explosion that happened, um, whatever, billions of years ago, and, and, and we just happen to be here, we're just like balls of meat flying through a universe, um, then really, intrinsically, there is no purpose, which is random. We can make our purpose, we can invent our purpose, but it's not a real purpose. If we believe in God, and that God created me for a reason, for a certain purpose, that, then you look around the world and you see all the terrible things that are happening, but at least you know, and, and you, don't, you don't necessarily have an explanation why they're happening. God is beyond our reason. We don't know why God does things, but at least we know that there's a plan to all this. There's some sort of meaning, there's some sort of depth to this, even if I not be, may not be aware of it, and I have a reason for being here. I have a purpose. I, am, I, w I was wanted by Hashem, by God, for a certain reason, and, and he desired me to be here at this present time to achieve something. I think that brings a lot of optimism, you know, brings a lot of hope. Yeah, I think you're right. I th I th and, and I suppose what that goes to is also what we said, you know, what we talked about in, in uh, this concept of post-traumatic growth, because also if everything has, if, if we have a purpose, then everything that happens to us has a purpose. Has a purpose, right. Um, we might not understand why it happened. We might, we might be completely confused of why it happened. Uh, and we can't always ask why because we actually don't understand. But if we're in God's hands, then we know that there is some plan and that everything has a purpose. I'll just share with you a cute little story. I had a discussion um, recently with someone who, who experienced some trauma in their lives. Um, and uh, I was sort of, you know, listening and trying to help a little bit and, and, and being a support. And this person said to me, you know, I do believe in God, but I think... It's hard for me to believe uh, that all these things come from God. So I, I think I believe in God, but I also believe in the devil. So I said, why do you say that? Because, you know, so I think that was a mechanism of her saying, well, like, 
you know, God is, must be good, right? So all the good things come from him, but the, you know, the bad things must come from the devil. So I said, well, it happens to be that in Judaism there's no such thing. And I said, besides that, theologically, that's just not correct in Judaism. There's only one authority and there's one, uh, one controller of the world. But I said, purely practically from an emotional level, I said, I would hate to live my life like that because I want to know that everything that happens to me, whether the things I like or I don't like, God forbid, I'm in God's hands. Right. And I think, you know, it's a, it's such a, it's a, it's a tough perspective, but it's a deep perspective because everything that happens has a purpose. Um, and I guess when, you, when, when we understand that, then we can build that uh, look to the brighter future that, okay, well, let me see what the purpose is. Um, you know, sometimes I say also, we might not even know what the purpose is. And in fact, sometimes we need to create the purpose in that event. I mean, in that experience. We need to say, okay, so how can I make that, how can I turn it around? How can I make that, make me a stronger person? Yeah. I think another aspect of this, because you would, you know, we mentioned that not everyone is born with a, uh, with a positive nature. And some of us have to work on it. And it's very hard. And in general, sometimes we're overwhelmed with life. Not even necessarily trauma, sometimes yes, trauma, but sometimes just life could be very stressful, very overwhelming. And sometimes it's actually, it's sort of difficult to believe in yourself that you can, that you have the power to actually get through this and to rise your head above the water and to really, to really march on with life and everything that needs to be done. And believing in a God who created you means that God created you believing that you could do it. Um, one of my favorite ideas that we start off every single day doing, is we say, Modani, we thank God for giving us our soul back. And we end off with two words, Rapa Emunatecha, which means, can be translated in different ways. One of the ways of translating it is, great is your faith. In other words, God has faith in us, just like we have to have faith in God. God actually believes in us. It's like, which is an amazing thing if you think about it, because every day, we don't really live up to our potential. We, we do a lot of good things, I'm sure, but we, we're not perfect people and that's fine. It's like a teacher walking into a classroom with the same child who, you know, acts, uh, you know, sort of who is naughty every single day and walking in with the belief that today he'll be different. And today he will be able to control himself and will be able to do well. And God is like that infinitely patient teacher who walks into the classroom every morning, gives us back our soul and says, I actually believe that today you could do it. And it's a very empowering thing, I think. It's, it's incredible. I mean, um, and part of that belief, you know, is, is that anushama, our soul. So when you say about belief in God, it's also belief in our soul, which is a godly infusion. Yeah. It's a spark of godliness that we have, right? That God gave into us. And he, and he, and he, and he says, this is, the, this is your foundation. You need to connect to your soul. You need to connect to your neshama, and I'll tell you how to do it. Because when you connect to your neshama, you are connecting to an infinite ability to be strong and to be resilient and to be optimistic. And that concept you mentioned about that God believes in us, I mean, it's an amazing thing. The way I once put it in, in a class is I said, you know, God, we say Modani, as you mentioned, we thank God for returning our soul fresh. We have the tradition that every day, every night, God takes our soul back and, re and refurbishes it, so to speak. And when God, when we say Rabbah what we're really saying is that God is saying to us each morning, I woke you up this morning, I gave you back your soul because I believe in you. Yeah. Because you, because I believe you can do it. Yeah, he's it's allowing a, us back into the classroom every day. It's a fresh day. And, and as long as you're prepared to let go of yesterday, I mean, let go of the toxicity of yesterday, and uh, not to worry about what's happening in the future, but just focus on this day, you can do it. Yeah. And I think, you know, this, this concept is a very sort of like buzzword nowadays, you know, sort of like believe in yourself, right? 
I think it's actually even a much more deeper and empowering concept than that. Believing in yourself, what most people mean is like believe in your abilities and your talents, which of course a person should, a person should be confident in what they're able to do. But at the end of the day, we're limited human beings. So there's a certain limit to how much I can believe in, in what I can do. But if believing in yourself means what it really means, and a Jew, from a Jewish point of view, which means believing in your soul, which is actually not you as a creation, but it's the spark of the creator in you, so then you have infinite potential, you have infinite amount of chances, and you can do it again and try again and try again, and God constantly believes in us, and we can, we can lift our head up, and we can be positive, and we can be optimistic. We can believe in our ability to go beyond ourselves. Correct. It's not so much believing in ourselves. That's right, exactly. To go beyond Going beyond ourself. to an infinite being, right, not right. beyond our finite limitations. Yeah. Um, just talking about optimism in a more broader sense, interesting that we have to say about this, you know, sort of this, this, this concept of trusting in God and, and we believe in God that everything's going to be good. How, how do you, and this is probably one of the most complicated questions out there, maybe let's talk about it a little bit. How do you sort of reconcile this almost like paradox of on the one hand believing everything is going to be good, but then sometimes it isn't good and you still have to stay optimistic. Like it's like you're optimistic that, you know, God's going to give you a good day today. And it doesn't turn out to be a good day. How do you end off the day with optimism, knowing that almost your optimism didn't really work? <laughs> that's, that's a great question. But I think we also have to define the word optimism. Here's a good place just to put this in, because all these discussions should never be interpreted to minimize the pain of trauma or to minimize the pain of challenge, right? right? Optimism does not mean, in fact, um, George Banana talks about it in his book. He said the paradox of, of optimism. Oh, there you go. Um, because, because, and of course, Jewish literature is full of it, but we need to understand the definition of optimism. The optimism doesn't always mean that you look at the world through rose-colored glasses. Um, we know, we've talked about this many times, that when someone dies, Torah mandates grief, yeah. right? Mandates feeling pain because it's a painful experience. Someone who gets up and the day after a loved one passes away and says everything's wonderful and it's fantastic and, you know, God knows what he's doing, so I'm just great, I'm feeling great today, something's wrong with that person, right? right? Yeah. Because they're, because they're probably suppressing emotions. Right, more suppressing emotions rather, rather than processing the emotions, right. right? So optimism doesn't mean that everything's wonderful. Optimism means if something painful happens, I am pained. I have what we call emunah. Now in Judaism, there's a difference between what we call emunah and bitachon. Emunah means I believe in God and Everything that happened to date, till now, I even if it wasn't good, I believe he has a plan. I don't, I'm not happy. I'm not. I feel pain. I'm hurt. I feel damaged, and I acknowledge that. Um, King David in Psalms. King David, one of the greatest holy people in Jewish history, right? Um, when he talks about struggles that he had, I mean, on a very simple level, he acknowledges the emotional. Always ends up with hope. Always ends up with I trust in God. I know God knows what he's doing. I'm going to connect to God because that's my salvation. And that's the only way I get strength and so on and so forth. But he doesn't shy away. I mean, you know, people, people think to heal him, the word to heal him, Psalms is like praises. People think it's all songs. Like, you know, you'll look in the English, you'll find like wonderful, happy, happy stuff there. I had a person once told me, he started reading the English, he got depressed. Because yeah. actually King David, a lot of the songs of Tehillim, of Psalms, are describing challenge. Because you need to be real. So how do we end off the day? Optimism always works. We know that sometimes God doesn't quite, we, we have to be optimistic about the future. We have to trust in God that he'll always make it right, it'll be good, positive thinking. But when things don't work out, we know that's what's God's plan. And our optimism takes on a different form in that I accept what happened to me. I'm pained by it, but I accept it. I know God knows what he's doing. And I'm going to take it and make the best of it and grow from it as much as I can. 
once with time, I need to give myself time sometimes to feel the pain, but I'm going to work through it, overcome it, and grow from it. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on to a sort of a different area, because I'm always interested in parenting, sort of uh, in that stage of life, so a little bit obsessed with it. I, I, I probably should be, should be obsessed with it more. But anyway, um, so you discussed resilience, right? And obviously, parents really want to instill resilience in their children. That's obviously a very important thing to do. Um, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, I think there's this notion out there today, it's more than, more than ever, and we've sort of touched on this in the, past, in the past few podcasts as well, this idea of creating this like perfect life for your child. Um, now, I, I think you'll agree that safety and structure is very, very important for children. You know, obviously... Critical. Critical. You have to have a bedtime. Right? You can't say, yeah, whatever, stay up till 12 o'clock, you'll be tired the next day, so you'll learn how to deal with being tired. Now, I think on a regular basis, you need to have a proper bedtime, so you assess how long your child needs to sleep, so they'll be awake and fresh the next morning. And of course, you have to give them lunch every day and then provide them a safe environment, etc. But do we perhaps protect our children a little bit too much today? Are we a little bit too overprotective that everything needs to be perfect? And like, almost, and I think that expresses itself in, in sort of many things, like they can never stay up later than their bedtime. Like, you know, sometimes like, for example, like it comes like Pesach or something, and the Seder goes late. No, my child goes to bed every night at 7.30. They're going to bed at 7.30 Pesach also. Like, you know, can I ever break my bedtime? It's like the, sort of this like, this fear, like what's going to happen the next morning if they go to sleep at 8.30 instead of 7.30. Or like never having, never letting your child have free time. It's like you have to, after school, they have to have 15 different things you take them to. And like, because if I give them free time, like what are they going to do? They'll be bored and they'll, maybe they'll do bad things and they'll, you know, is, is, in, 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 in the playground being over-obsessive, they shouldn't hurt themselves. Is, is, is that a thing nowadays? Do you think that's happening? It's definitely happening. And the, the proof that it's happening is that people are starting to write about it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So I saw this wonderful article from uh, some, um, I've forgotten her name, her name escapes me now, but she's, uh, she's written books about mental strength and, and being emotionally strong and so on. And she just read an article lately about eight things that parents need to do to build resilient children, right? So I think there's a couple of things here. And first of all, we need to know, we need to remember that rigidity doesn't build the flexibility mindset. Right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, we need to teach, you see, a basic structure there are rules and there are exceptions to the rules. You need to have a rule to have an exception, but, right. but of course there's structure, of course there's discipline, that's so important. We've talked about this, parents need to know how to say no, and so on. But it needs to be flexibility. And sometimes, yeah, they could stay up late. And if it's a Pesach or a Simchat Torah or a wedding, whatever, if they don't have their bedtime, it's fine. We don't need to be so overprotective. And part of the growth is you'll teach them somehow the next day to... Adapt. Adapt, work with that, yeah. Which, and part of it... Which part of it's for the parents also. Exactly. To be able to handle the children being tired. hundred yeah. percent, hundred percent. Part of, a part of the growth of a child, I'm just because I'm just using the examples that you gave, is letting him have free time to explore the world, just to, to be creative, right? But the most important thing you said is about overprotecting them in the, in the playground, for example, right? We need to, I once saw an article about a person describing how he rode a bicycle. Now, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't put helmets on children, we should, because it's safer. But we also shouldn't be petrified when a child hurts themselves. We don't have to put in 73 security mechanisms that they should never ever scratch their foot. Right. Right? It's yeah. children do hurt themselves, children fail, children, you give them a task to do, you don't have to set up 17 support systems to make sure they succeed. If they fail, they fail. That's how you build resilience. Let them fail. Let them fail, but support them. Yeah. I think maybe that's the key also. I think instead of focusing on making their life perfect, we should focus on 
showing them that our love for them is absolute and perfect. Meaning to say, not that we're always perfect parents, but meaning to say that ultimately, no matter what happens to you, I'll always love you and I'll always be there for you, even if you do fail. I'll be there to support you in any situation. And if they know that and then they fail and they, or they get hurt on, on any level, at least they always know that there's that safety net there. I love that. So don't, don't, don't make them perfect children, but love them perfectly. Yeah. Right? I think that's... And I think that's amazing. But yeah, and then also you be there with them and if they have to work through failure, you don't let them do it on their own. You don't dismiss them. You don't say, what, too bad, you made a mistake, now you work it out. No, you're there, but you're there in the background. Let them learn life. Build, we need to build resilience. It's really, really important. Um, part of that, by the way, is not over-inflating their achievements and not, you know, building effort, praising effort, but not everything's going to be perfect. And you don't, have to, you don't have to be perfect, first of all. You don't have to be number one. In and also, yeah. and if, if they do something nice, they're not, we don't come back with praises like, you're absolutely brilliant. Because maybe they're not absolutely brilliant. Actually, they just need to know where they are. You pre- say things like, wow, I can see you putting a lot of effort. That's a great step. Yeah. Uh, don't call your child that well at maths and Einstein, because he's not. Right. <laughs> Let them work. Let them know they have to work hard to get places. Let them make mistakes. And that's how you build resilient and strong children. What, what, what is the balance between complimenting and criticizing when it comes to parenting in terms of building resilience? Um, truth. Is it always important to say the truth? So, if, so, so, so let's say if a child did work hard um, and you know, failed the math test. So is the truth here that even though you work hard, you still fail? Like, what, what, what's the, in other words, you, you don't, you, you don't, you're obviously not that intelligent? No, so, so, I mean, it's edu- so it depends if you're talking about teachers or parents. So, you know, I'm an educator and, and I've, I do this for, I in-service teachers and there's a lot of times about differentiation and setting up children to be able to succeed because success is an important thing. But as parents, uh, I think you remember, always my, our, our thing for our children was that if you're studying for a test, I really don't, care that much about your mark. I do care if you're trying. Yeah. Now, if you're trying, you will, you will succeed at some level, right? You're not going to, unless you're totally in the wrong environment, but, right? right? If you know, and that's a fine. And, and, and effort and trying and studying and working hard is infinitely greater than the success, the mark you get on the test, right? That's number one. Second, when I said truth, also, I think it need to be clever. I mean, I, I can't resist telling my favorite story. So my favorite story about Tversky is about Tversky once told the story. He was here in Sydney many, many years ago. And he told a story that he once went to a grandchild's house and the grandchild um, came over to him and said, Zadie, Zadie, Grandpa, I, I, I need to show you, I need to play you a song, I'm learning to play the violin. So he said, oh, let me listen, he paid interest. And uh, this kid played the song and it was terrible, yeah. absolutely terrible. Yeah. So he thinks to himself, he's not gonna tell the child, wow, that was amazing, because actually it wasn't amazing. Yeah. Right, and that's how we—that's how we harm children. We 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 give them a complete distorted perception of self and an and inflated ego, which is just not good, right? But you don't want to embarrass child either, which is also important. So he said to the child, "You know, I recognize that song. Play it again, and I'm going to sing it with you." And the child felt like a million dollars. So right, right? He didn't. <laughs> it wasn't his place as a grandfather to tell him, you know, you really. Probably should try a different career. Right. Yeah. But you know, that's a parents' problem and that's in the look at themselves. Maybe he needs more practice, maybe he has potential. I don't know. But but he wasn't gonna tell him now, it's unbelievably amazing. No, he's still got lots of work to do, and it's not his place to tell him that. That's always teacher, always parent. But he made him feel good without without lying to him. 
which I thought was amazing. So that's the goal. The goal is to make them feel good without... Valued. Valued, yeah. yeah. Children have to feel valued. But it doesn't mean you can value them, but you can still let them fail and make mistakes and build up their resilience. And if you have to actually criticize and, and put them in their place at some point, how do you do that and make them feel valued at the same time? So that's the... Well, we're going to the whole parenting thing here, right? Why not? That's the... Because uh, this, this, this is all about resilience. It really. is, it's it is, it is. Yeah. But that's why criticism and is confidence. important. But criticism means you criticize... Number one, you criticize what, what was done, not the person. That's number one. They're very yeah. important. And second of all, if you... Ba- not balance it, but if it comes together with a lot of love and support, um, it, 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 it always works. In other words, if a child really knows that you love him and you, tr- and, and you value them, and the criticism, the language, the tone is... I am pointing out the criticism, and I know it's hard to take criticism, and I love you, and, I, and I'm completely there for you, but this was a mistake, or this behavior wasn't good, and, and the way you treated the other person was really inappropriate or impolite, whatever the case is. It might still be painful, but it's absorbed. Right. All right. Amazing. Very good. Always good ideas to bring off the topic a little bit, which is great. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Um, and uh, next week... I'm going to make a little commercial here. Is that okay? Absolutely. Next week, I'm going to share um, some amazing ideas, which is really got to do with something we spoke about this week, um, this time about faith and purpose. I'm going to share with you something from a book I just read about a woman who experienced unimaginable trauma and how she processed it and really gave it such purpose and meaning. But just Can't wait. Appetite. Looking forward. Let's do it next week. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Have, have a great day. Thank you for listening to The JP Show. For questions, comments, and feedback, please email rabbig at bina, B-I-N-A, dot com, dot A-U. See you next time.